0: When I look at the world, I'm pessimistic, but when I look at people, I am optimistic. Carl Rogers Hey everybody. Welcome to episode 15 of Emetophobia Help. I'm Anna Christie, recovered emetophobic, licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia, and your host for this podcast. Um, just to let you know, there are costs associated with producing this podcast. So if you're finding it helpful, you could just buy me a coffee. That would be really cool. Um, Just look down to the bottom of the notes on this episode and you'll see a link right there that says support the show, buy me a coffee. Okay, Today I'm talking to psychotherapist Peter Sillen from Vancouver, Canada, which is where I'm from as well. Uh, trigger warnings, I may say the word vomit once, I can't remember now, um, but I think I do. And Peter says throw up a few times, and we also use the generic phrase was sick, but nothing gross or anything like that. All right, so here we go. Hi, Peter. Hey, Anna. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. Good to That's be here
0: that's great. So I'm here with Peter Sillin, who is um, an RSW registered social worker who has had a long and illustrious career in psychotherapy. And I guess for the last five or 10 years, I don't know how long you've been treating emetophobics. I
1: think it's about five years now. Four five or five years.
0: years or so. Yeah. yeah. So we live in the same city and, and we're, um, friends because we have coffee at a place that it's gone now though right it's gone so it's like and we bought like a five dollar coffee there once a year and they <laughs> went out of business i mean how rude
1: <laughs> but our has survived that's what's important
0: <laughs> right that's right um could, could we just start by having you i think a lot of folks might um might be interested to know what and RSW is and yeah. Why don't we start there?
1: Yeah, so I'm actually an RSW and CCC. So okay. RSW, registered social worker, means that I am with the uh, College of Social Workers of British Columbia. Um, I am entitled to. Um, uh, do a private practice in counseling, and it's it's kind of a certification. CCC is a certified clinical counselor, and that is a Canadian-wide organization of of, of psychotherapists, and um, it's it's also a clinical designation.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I'm an RCC, a registered clinical counselor. So sure. we're, they're trying to get us all under the same umbrella right now, right, Andre? Um, uh, an umbrella of of um, accountability and uh, anyway that's mm-hmm. for another podcast yeah. somebody else can talk about that mm-hmm. <laughs> talk about emetophobia um, there are yeah there are a number of social workers doing therapy in the UK as well and mm-hmm. not as many in the United States I find but mm-hmm. but there are some for sure can you talk a little bit about the kind of Therapy that you do, generally speaking?
1: Um, in my general practice, my basis of, of my orientation is a model called AEDP, which stands for Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy, which I know is a mouthful. But basically, wow. it is uh, it's a, it's a model of psychotherapy that's based on an attachment stance, meaning Relational, how and that people develop their personalities and the way they act and interact in the world through what they learn from caregivers and other important people in their life. It's a a model that is very accompanying, um, very gentle, and very powerful. But and with the metaphobia, I also do a lot of of. CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. I think that you need both approaches um, with, with emetophobia. So um, there are sometimes when you, I think you don't have to go into background things, I do, but I um, you can't not do the desensitization, I think. The way I look at working with emetophobia is you need to do desensitization as well as for me, a lot of times, although not always, we look at relational and background things. And, you know, I'm definitely not saying that emetophobia is, is an addiction. But it is like treating addiction in that you can find out the reasons that somebody is the way they are, with an, like an alcoholic, mm-hmm. um, which is really helpful. But until you actually work with a compulsive behavior or this time with a phobic behavior or phobia, you know, i I think you you're gonna miss the boat
0: yeah that's interesting could talk the whole time about that actually um, it i I was going to say that it um, there often it's trauma you know starts with some trauma not always okay. I can't always find trauma with people but I usually find something that kind of disturbs the natural arc of attachment from mother from birth to you know 18 years of age let's say there's sort of a natural arc of being very attached securely attached and then kind of dissolving that attachment in a healthy way and Uh when things disturb that and this happens with i'm not i'm nobody. I'm not this is not scientific. So if you're are there any scientists listening, please don't throw stuff at your computer. Um, but because I only treat emetophobics. So I don't have a control group for this. But it seems like all of my clients have some story or other um that that you know would point to that. There could be that everyone does. Nobody really makes it out of childhood unscathed, I don't think.
1: Yeah. Can I add to that, Anna? I also think if it's not a trauma that somebody might remember, um, you can still work with it. But also I think sometimes there's just what we might look at in terms of family constellation or um, family dynamics in which kind of the result is the same. There hasn't been a really good and secure Um, attachment bond in the time um, where some kind of incidents occur so in other words you know like you can have you can have an incident that for one child and I, I guess this is then talked about trauma but where one child might not be traumatic but in a family where there's not a good attachment then if a child has an incident and they end up feeling alone or unseen or abandoned that the, the, uh, fear, the emotion is overwhelming.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's,
1: um, you know, what can cause the trauma, but Absolutely. there's a of it.
0: And it can also happen, you know, before you can remember pre five years of age, pre verbal, even before yeah. three years of age, um, uh, uh, that's very interesting stuff. I wish I had another life to do some research, you know, like to spend another, like you know, thirty or forty years just doing research on this. That that'd be maybe uh, I can I can download upload my brain. I think that's a thing for the future that we can upload our brains to some, you know, and then die and then people can reference us if they want to. (laughs) Anyway, um, I think of you, when I think of you, I think of you as what, what I would call a real therapist. I don't think of myself as a real therapist when I'm treating emetophobia. If you come to me, um, you know, when I was in ministry, you're in like a crisis has happened. Someone has died. Um, uh, there's grief, loss, whatever. I, then I, then I'm a real therapist, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but with this, I feel as though I'm more of an educator, and I'm spending, you know, about 16 sessions with people, teaching them more than actually doing therapy, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know, I really respect you for, you know. It, just sort of saying to me on many occasions, I can't do this in 16 to 20 sessions. You know, what are you yes. talking about? And, yes. um, but I, I feel like if someone comes to see you, yes. that they get the whole deal, you know,
1: Uh huh. Uh-huh. does that
0: make sense? What I'm saying? Well,
1: yeah. And sometimes actually with the people like I treat, depending on what the situation is, then it is shorter. I don't think it's 16 sessions, but it is shorter. Mm-hmm. Well, just, can I respond also to what you said earlier uh, when you say I'm not a real therapist? Because <laughs> gonna, um, I know you're sort of joking, but what's really important that people know about you is that, and therapy is what makes it successful is the relationship that they have with a the therapist. Yes, and and you, while however you kind of position yourself, you are a warm, concerned, supportive person and the relationship i would think that the relationship you have with your clients is as important or the foundation of what you do with them and that's similar exactly the same as what i do
0: yeah i th- I, I thank you for saying that and and i was joking a little bit i have a huge advantage in having had a worked mm-hmm. on it and mm-hmm. overcome it in the same way that i work with other people mm-hmm. and therefore they trust me in almost immediately mm-hmm. um, 99% of them do. And mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, I've gone to therapists where it's taken me 20 sessions just to trust the person yeah. to feel like I can say whatever I want. I won't be judged. And mm-hmm. you know. so, yeah, I want to be able to, um, you know, put together the, the book that I'm working on with David Russ, um, we want to be able to help other therapists treat a metaphobia where where you don't have to have had it. You know, you know you shouldn't have to have had anything in order to treat it, right? Um, but it always helps to have something, so to have been a little bit screwed up is probably the best that you want from your therapist.
1: <laughs> go ahead well, I'm just thinking about, yeah, like what you say to emphasize is it's trust um that is a really crucial thing. And also you talked about, you You mentioned uh, judgmental and, you know, I haven't had a um, metaphobia, but I've had fears that I've had to work on. And at any rate, when I see somebody in my practice, I, the, the furthest thing from my mind is to judge them. Mm-hmm. I think, in fact, people have had metaphobia and survived and function. They're incredibly strong and have incredible resources yeah. um, because otherwise they, they couldn't manage. And the other thing is when I see somebody who has emetophobia, I think to myself, and I say this to people, you know, this is just one part of you. Mm-hmm. Lots of other parts of you that are really important. And I want to, you to know that I see you as a whole whole person.
0: Right. Yeah, That that's really really important. Um, I, one of the reasons why I like to remain friends with you, have coffee or whatever, I have a number of therapist friends, mm-hmm. or acquaintances. But what I like about you is that you never say anything bad about your clients, even like behind their back, so to speak, like when you and I are chatting, and mm-hmm. I don't either. And, and when people who are therapists do that, it just rubs me the wrong way. I don't like it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, maybe they're okay at faking whatever they do. I don't know. There are lots of therapists out there. But I just think um, the the first therapy modality that I was trained in was Roger and Carl Rogers. And if you don't remember anything that you learned about Carl Rogers, one thing I remember is – Uh, that he said we are to have unconditional positive regard for our clients. And I have never, ever forgotten that. It is unconditional. And a lot of folks who will be listening today have had really bad experiences in therapy. Um, That I want them to know that I had a number of bad experiences as well. But there are lots and lots and lots and lots of good therapists out there who will just keep trying Keep you know, keep going, keep looking. Um Peter and I are getting old, so <laughs> well, not you, of course. <laughs> what am I saying? But <laughs> we both keep talking about uh retiring, but then I, I kind of wanna just work till I'm dead, I think. I think that's my next goal. Just and hopefully I'll still be doing something for a metaphobics when I'm a hundred. Yeah,
1: um, your brain will be uploaded, as you say.
0: That's right. Maybe by then my I can just upload my brain and you, people can have therapy with a machine. That's me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you do that um, I'm familiar with, because I've had it done um, a little bit, is EMDR. And a lot of people, um, emetophobics, ask me about EMDR. And I, I can say very little about it. Mm-hmm. Um but you are certified. You have like a cert. You there's some kind of a course, and you're sort of certified. Yes, yes. I'm you- not
1: certified, but I, yeah, I'm trained in EMDR, and I've probably been doing it for 20 years. So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, another long initial thing. But yeah. basically, it is a way of working with people that is just at the the very basic is they will follow my hand movements with their eyes only as I go back and forth in front of their eyes, or I will tap their hands alternately mm-hmm. while we focus on a kind of target memory. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, which I'm not sure has ever been um, figured out hundred percent, it helps to resolve trauma. I mean, it's much more complicated than that, but that's mm-hmm. what it is. basically. And, um, when I say resolve trauma, it's not like it's you're gonna forget what happened, but what's gonna happen is is to some extent at least hopefully is the memory of it will not be so disturbing. It will be kind of reprocessed in your brain in a different way.
0: Mm-hmm. what well, one of the overly simplistic ways that I've had it explained to me. Is that it? Kind of, it has your brain switching back so quickly between right and left that it kind of overrides the the things that are more uh, prefrontal cortex, like thinking, for example, you know, yeah. logic, reason, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it gets to the real center of your brain where you're holding these emotions that are yeah. held in your body. Yeah. you know, as memories. Right. Um, yeah. Does, is that, does that sound like it?
1: Yep. Yeah. yep. And and that's also why, you know, that follows out of that, why people can't think them, their way out of emetophobia. Right. right? They can't, and they say, uh, you know, well, I know it's like, even most people with emetophobia, they'll say, well, I know, when I think about it, I know it's really dangerous. It's not really dangerous, but still, and the reason is because it's not in your rational part of your brain that you're having the problem. Right. It's in the emotional part of your brain. Yes. Yeah. Very. We are, it kind of targets both, but you right. know, you have to target. It's in your emotional part of your brain. And it's a lot of times with trauma, it's stored in your body.
0: Yes. Yeah. I was just, um, I did a podcast a few weeks ago with mm. a psychologist, a friend of mine in um, California, and she was talking, we were talking quite a bit about, You know, because we always ask our clients when when they give us um, a number uh, on an SUD subjective units of distress scale, Mm -hmm. they say six out of ten. Then we would always ask immediately, and where do you feel that in your body? Because Mm -hmm. it's it's held in it's there somewhere. You know, it's not just an idea. Anxiety is in your in your body for sure, Um, and this is these are body memory you know, these yeah. are body memories as well. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I hear, sometimes I hear just an absolutely terrible trauma story. I had one client who didn't, she said, you know, she had the greatest childhood, all of them being adopted, you know, nothing ever happened to her. And, and I was just kind of, okay, well, you know, um regardless of how, you get this phobia, the treatment's the same anyway. So, you know, we kind of continued on. And one time I said, how old were you when you were adopted? And she said, well, my mother apparently left me on the side of the road in a car seat when I was six months old and drove off and my mother was never found. So then I was adopted, you know, right away. I said, that's Mm -hmm. terrible. And she said, oh, but I don't remember it but mm. I said, but your body remembers it. Yes. And that's a thing, you know, your body remembers that. So all of a sudden your mom's just gone. Good Lord. Uh, she did well, that woman. She was very courageous. As mm. you say, I find in Metaphobics to be incredibly courageous people. Yes. Very brave. Um, and to to be... Um, people who do EMDR already have to be therapists who are licensed or registered. Is that correct?
1: I think so. That's the I, idea.
0: I Nobody is just an EMDR person who has no, no other knowledge. I yeah.
1: Would, yeah, yeah. Like
0: um, some folks go to, you know, uh, um, a hypnosis person who's only trained in
1: hypnosis, for example. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you still yeah. do hypnosis? You used I to. Don't-
1: I don't anymore, but I do, I mean, I do a lot of relaxation, and at some point, I think in a very deeply relaxed state, you are in a kind of a semi-trance-like, but I wouldn't call it, and I I have no way to verify that that is true.
0: (laughs) For all the scientists listening, don't freak out.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's right that's Mm -hmm. right so can i can i do i have time to add a couple things yep absolutely one thing that i want to say is in terms of like what caused this or whatever one of the things that i find with people um has been that it may not like sometimes the trauma is not necessarily around around throwing up right you know like i've had people who had um say like i remember a woman who she what she and her friend when they were 13 they both um they both one night you know they got together moms were out of town and dads were wherever and, and um so they got into the alcohol and her friend threw up and so my client what she did is is she saw this And she was horrified, and that was a trauma. But one of the things we worked with was the danger wasn't the getting sick. Mm -hmm. The danger was the alcohol poisoning. Right. Getting sick is the body trying to take care of someone. That's a natural reaction. But in her mind, the thing, too, got fused, you know. And um, um, I've noticed that in different clients in a number of different Ways you know it wasn't actually the getting sick that was the issue, it was what happened around it, right? Like mom couldn't stand it, or um, or it meant that dad was really sick and died. But right. it was the getting sick that was the problem, but in a right. child's mind, it got confused,
0: yeah, it yeah. does. And I think that's one of the reasons as well, um, that emetophobia is. Very serious phobia it's it's not it's it presents usually as quite debilitating really mm. you know ruining people's lives mm. and it um the and people assume oh there you must have like repressed a memory or mm. you got to have had some violent thing that has to do with being sick. And that isn't necessarily true. I think the problem is, (laughs) if you call it a problem, is that people just don't vomit very often, or you don't see it. And so you it's like a natural avoidance. You know, you're you have a kid's afraid of thunderstorms, and you live not where we live, but where they happen, you know, they happen every year and all summer, eventually, they just get over it. But, but with Mm -hmm. this, it, it doesn't happen. And Yet they yeah. sort of live in a constant state of feeling nauseous, being afraid. And, you know, it just kind of carries on from there. So, yeah.
1: and, you know, most people I talk with after I've been working with them for a while, but even beforehand, they'll say that the last time they got sick or when they finally do get sick, they'll always say, oh, it's not so bad. Yeah. It wasn't as bad. It was a fear of the event. Yeah. It was never as bad as the event. Yeah. And I always ask them, focus on that. What's that like to realize it's not as bad as you thought? Right. And I think that's really important. And, you know, when I also tell people, and this is about trauma too, well, that, that if, if you think about, well, I might get sick, think about what happens after, which mm-hmm. is you're going to be okay. And things are going to go back to normal. Yeah. You know, your people are still going to care about you. Nobody's going to laugh about you. It's like mm-hmm. I tell people finish the movie because there's always a happy ending don't stop the movie at the worst part. Which that's is, guess, right. That's in, in trauma.
0: Yeah. Often when I ask people, and I know that I was asked this as well, what happens next? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, they don't know. Like a lot of people answer, I don't know. And they're quite right. puzzled. And it's almost as if a, like an iron curtain can, comes down or the world ends right there. There's nothing right. after, yeah. you know, um, And, and yet there is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, an important question to ask. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, I saw people finish the movie. Right. Right.
0: Okay. On that note, our movie's finished.
1: Thank you. Well, you're welcome. It's a pleasure talking to you again, Anna.
0: For more information about emetophobia, including resources, uh, free resources for treating it, go to my website at www.emetophobiahelp.org. It should have everything that you need there. Um, So that's emetophobiahelp.org or just Google emetophobia help. And that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening.